Thank you for checking out this video. My name is Lindsay, and I'm so excited that you're here for this message from Redemption Church. Good morning. Before we start, let's uh, pray once more. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for this great Old Testament story. We ask that you would speak to us and God make our greatest desire to be more like your son. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, welcome to Sunday School, our series on great stories from the book of Genesis. My name is Steve Whitlow. I am privileged to serve around here in several areas. The primary area is working with life groups. If you're not involved in a group, I would love to talk to you about becoming involved in a life group. However, my favorite role at Redemption is being Stephen's dad. This morning, I'm excited to share with you an intriguing Old Testament story of language, man's ambition, and God's response. Our four Sunday school lessons will be man struggles with obedience. God deals with disobedience. God's plan always prevails. And finally, the redemption story of Babel. Let me set the scene. Last week, we looked at Noah, his family, and the flood. A couple of hundred years later, a people have occupied a land named Shinar. It's an interesting fact that Noah and his sons are most likely still alive during the time of Babel. We find the people united, settled, industrious, and determined. God visits the scene, executes a judgment, and produces a result. Why is it that we have such a hard time obeying instructions? God had given such a simple command. After the flood, we read in Genesis 9-1, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In verse 7, he repeats it again, only this time he adds to increase greatly. We then see a summary of the lineage of Noah's sons. We find some fascinating facts in chapter 10. Ham had a son named Canaan. His descendants would become interwoven in the rest of the biblical story. Ham would have a grandson named Nimrod, who would build several cities, including Babel and Nineveh. Babel we will investigate today. Nineveh will become a bigger part of the story about a thousand years later. But we will quickly look at a quote from that story as well this morning. A guy named Jonah will eventually visit that city, and it will be quite the tale. Some of you got that, and some of you didn't. Canaan will have some other descendants that will head in the direction of a couple of places called Sodom and Gomorrah. Those cities will be a part of the biblical narrative. Shem will have a great-great-grandson named Peleg. He will be a part of the story at the end of chapter 11 of Genesis. One of his descendants will be a man named Abraham. 
In verses 5, 20, and 31 of chapter 10, we are told all of these people, by their clans, their language, their lands, their nations. This is how they spread out abroad after, on the earth after the flood. For me, the year was 1969. It was a warm summer day in West Virginia. The date was July 20th. I was nine years old. My brother was six. We had played outside all day. We were tired, but now the moment had come that we had all been waiting for to occur. My little brother, my grandma, affectionately known as Nanny, and I were huddled around the black and white TV as the night set in. We were part of over a half a billion people, amazingly, about 14% of the world's population, watching the event live. At 10.39 p.m., Neil Armstrong opened the hatch of the lunar module. At 10.56 p.m., he stepped onto the surface of the moon and uttered the now famous words, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. It had been seven years earlier, on September 12, 1962, speaking in Houston, Texas, President Kennedy had said, we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and to do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies, and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one in which we intend to win. Man's desire to reach the heavens and man's desire to create may have reached a pinnacle on that day in 1969. With this in mind, let's examine this great Old Testament story found in Genesis 11. For many of us, the story has been taught to be about man's pride and God's judgment. However, this morning, I want us to look at the story from a little different perspective. Here's a fun little thought. It's believed that the Tower of Babel would have been about seven or eight stories high, or about 300 feet. Back then, that would have been an amazing accomplishment. However, consider this. Mount Everest has an elevation of 29,035 feet. It is almost 100 times higher than man's attempts to reach the heavens in our story. We fall so short of what God has already done. I want us to see the Tower of Babel as a story that will show us some of mankind's strengths and weaknesses. I believe the story of the Tower of Babel can show us God's mercy and judgment. Then we will conclude with great New Testament reversals of the story. The first thing we see with mankind is unity and community. The people were united in language, and they found a great place to make their home for their community. The second thing we see is mankind's ingenuity. Stone wasn't available. So they made bricks and mortar. The final thing we see is mankind's drive to build and create. 
As we look at unity and community, what does the passage say? The whole earth. They migrated. They found. They settled. They said. I want to remind us that sometimes our strengths are also our weaknesses. President Kennedy united a nation and its resources to reach a goal. Some would call it mankind's greatest achievement. Others that it was a waste of resources or just a conspiracy. However, not all united efforts are good. A prime example is when Hitler united Germany in an attempt to destroy a race and conquer Europe. It's interesting that Jesus prays for our unity as a group of believers. Peter and Paul both call for the body to be united in one spirit. We celebrate how communities unite in times of trouble. We know that two united make the job lighter, but two can also make the job more devious. Now let's look at the ingenuity of the people. What does the story tell us? Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. It appears the resources that were normally required to build the structure were not available in this area. So they found a means to make it happen anyway. Some state that by their observation of the sun baking the ground, they discovered a means to manufacture a building resource, brick instead of stone. Today, it is hard to believe that in 1969, only about a third of the televisions in the U.S. were colored TVs. The Brady Bunch premiered. The Jackson Five made their television debut. Sesame Street debuts. Star Trek airs its final episode as NBC cancels the series. Ah, but not to fear. A thing called syndication had occurred, and it turned out okay for the Trekkies. Senator Kennedy goes on TV to talk about the Chappaquiddick incident. Vice President Agnew complains about the news commentaries. Some things never change. Some view TV as a great invention. Others as a scourge on our society. Did you know it would be 1972 when the first digital watch was introduced? It cost $2,100. As a comparison, you could purchase a new convertible Mustang for $3,000. By 1975, digital watches were being produced by Texas Instruments and selling for $20. And by 1976, they were selling for $10. Man's creativity and ingenuity at work. In the mid-1970s, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs would begin to introduce the world to the personal computer. Stephen, it wasn't until 1978 that VisiCalc, the first electronic spreadsheet, was created. We had no clue what a cell phone was. For many of us in rural areas, we still had party lines. For the youngsters here today, this isn't a party you attended. This was sharing the home phone line with your neighbors. We get in family fights over sharing our data usage now. Can you even imagine if we had to share our cell phone lines? Back to our story. By man's ingenuity, 
leadership and work, a great city was built. God had told them to fill the earth. What did they do? They settled in Shinar and built. Sunday school lesson number one, man struggles with obedience. I mentioned earlier, Nimrod is named in Genesis chapter 2 or 10. I want us to look ahead a thousand years to the great city of Nineveh. We have the story of Jonah. God tells him he has a message for the people of the great city. Jonah preaches and the people repent. What is Jonah's reaction? We read about it in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Yeah, like Jonah, it's so much better when God isn't a God of mercy, right? Let's not be too hard on Jonah. I suspect we have at times wished God's mercy to pass over someone. They deserve judgment, not mercy, right? Now let's look at Sunday school lesson number two. How does God deal with disobedience in our story? It says he came down to the great city. This is reminiscent of what happened in the garden. Sin didn't push God away. Instead, he came down into it. What did God see? He saw man's unity. He saw man's ingenuity. We are told then that he took an action. What was the action? We're told in Genesis chapter 11, verses 6 and 7. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Why not just destroy them? What did Jonah know about God that would cause him to run from him instead of preaching to the people of Nineveh? In that instance, even though he didn't want him to be, he was a God of mercy. Why did God confuse their language in our story? What does the passage tell us? Genesis 11, 8 and 9. So the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Now for Sunday school lesson number three. His purpose was for them to disperse 
In other words, he was looking for obedience. Two major passages come to mind when it comes to obedience. First, we have the story of Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Saul had disobeyed the instructions of Samuel. The prophet tells him, to obey is better than sacrifice. The second is Jesus' statement in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What had God told them to do after the flood? To fill the whole earth. In his mercy, he created a way for them to follow his plan. He is a very creative God. He had created a wonderfully vast and diverse world. He wanted man to enjoy all of its vastness and wonder. From the warmth of the lands around the equator to the frigid temperatures of the North and South Pole, from the grandeur of the Grand Canyon to the majesty of the Alps, the power of Niagara Falls, the vastness of the African deserts, and the beauty and strength of the oceans. Despite our disobedience, he still wants relationship with mankind. He saw their ingenuity. He knew their potential for accomplishments. His next action was to confuse their language. What was the result? Dispersion. What had he told them to do? Disperse. Their punishment was God's original command. Sunday school lesson number three, God's plan will prevail. Have you ever had a situation resolved only to find it pop up again? Perhaps slightly different, but still so, so similar. But perhaps even worse than before. Our story is recorded near the beginning of Genesis. We find a similar story at the very beginning of the next book of the Bible, Exodus. In the first chapter of Exodus, we are told they came to Egypt as a group of 70 people. They were fruitful, multiplied, and filled the land. But this caused great concern for the leader of Egypt. And he had a resolution. He enslaved them. The irony of the enslavement was that he used them to build great cities with brick and mortar. Is it possible? This is what God saw when he said, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Man enslaving man. Sin enslaving man. This is often a picture of our lives. God's intervention has moved us to obedience. We rest in it for a period. Then the enemy of our souls uses circumstances, perhaps of our own creation, or perhaps not, to enslave us to the very thing God had freed us from. Paul deals with this in Romans 7 and 8. He cries out, who will deliver me? Of course, he knew, and we know the answer, Jesus. Let's go back to our original story. One of my struggles in this story is, why would a God of unity create disunity? 
My conclusion centers around the result of the disunity, dispersion. God's concern was with his command and man's obedience. Where there is disobedience, there are consequences. In our story, the consequence was disunity based on the inability to communicate because of the new language barrier. This forced man into obedience and a dispersion over the whole earth. It's interesting to note that in John 17, Jesus would pray for a unified church. This unity, according to Jesus, was so that the world might believe Jesus was sent to redeem the world. Now, for Sunday school lesson number four, the New Testament redemption story. How did God bring a resolution to this disunity in our story? Remember, he had confused their languages. I want us to look at a New Testament reversal of the confusion of language. It is found in Acts chapter 2 at the founding of the New Testament church. Beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered or confused because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them or each of us in his own native language? The parallels are intriguing. I want to quickly show you eight of them. First, they were supposed to disperse or they were sent and babble. God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Genesis 9.1, New Testament church. You will receive power and you will be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Number two, they were in unity in Babel. They had one language, they migrated, they settled. New Testament church. When the day of Pentecost came, they were in one place in one accord. Number three, heaven was in their gaze at Babel. They wanted to build a structure to reach the heavens. New Testament church. They gazed to heaven as Jesus ascended. Number four, God came down. At Babel, he came down to see what they were doing. Genesis 11, five and seven. New Testament church. There came a sound from heaven and it filled the room. God, the Holy Spirit, came down. Number five, 
They both were involved in building. Babel, let us build a city and a tower. Genesis 11:4. New Testament church. They were building his church, and over 3,000 were added that day. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Number six, language was a central part of the story. Babel. God confused their language, and they no longer could understand or communicate with each other. Genesis 11, 6, and 7. New Testament church. There were men from every nation. They each heard the disciples speak in their own individual languages. Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Number seven, there was confusion. At Babel, God confused the language of the whole earth. Genesis 11, 9. New Testament church, they were both amazed and confused. Acts chapter 2, verse 12, there was a dispersion. At Babel, they were dispersed over the earth. Genesis eleven nine. New Testament church, they were scattered. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. What does all of this mean for me? God's call upon our lives is very clear, simple, and concise, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Are you building anything that keeps you from fulfilling his command on your life? Have you found yourself enslaved as a result of your own doing? Have you found yourself enslaved as a consequence of the actions of others? Are you desperately seeking a reversal? He still comes down into our midst. He sees you. He knows the cries of your heart. He wants to restore unity. He wants to build. Will you let him use the gifts, ingenuity, and talents he has placed in you? I pray you will and see just what he can accomplish. I assure you, it will be more than a tower that reaches to the heavens. It will be a temple that is in the depths of your soul. He simply asks for your obedience. You can trust him. God in you, the hope of glory, our great reverser. That would be a great way to end. But I promised you great New Testament reversals, plural. We just talked about the reversal of language, but there's an even better reversal I want to show you. This will make Mount Everest look small. As a Sunday school teacher, one of the things you got to do was ask questions. I have a question for you. Who was the first city builder? The answer is Cain, who Stephen spoke about in our first week of Sunday school. What was going on in our story of Babel? Years later, they were attempting to build another city. And in this city, a tower to reach up to heaven. They wanted to see and be seen. What does Jesus say of us? In Matthew 5, 14, you are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. How does the last book of the Bible end? Who is the last city builder? Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4 tells us 
It is God, the great redeemer of heaven, earth, and mankind. Before we read it, what did our Genesis story say? Come, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Okay, now let us read about this new city. Are you ready? Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, or, or I can't say it, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. How big was this city? We are told in Revelation 21, 15 and 16. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lay four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. Who was in the city? Revelation 5, 9 tells us. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Let's take one last look at our story. In Genesis 11:8, it says, And they left off building the city. The story also had told us they wanted to make a name for themselves. I ask you, which of our city builders made a name for themselves? What have you left off doing or stopped building? Do you have projects that need to be restarted? Or reversed? Which city do you want to be a resident of? The one built by man with brick and mortar, but incomplete? Or this one, certainly not a brick and mortar, but gold, jasper, and every kind of precious jewel built and finished by God? In whose name do you trust? What a city. The Tower of Babel was 800 feet high. Mount Everest, five and a half miles high. This city is around 1,400 miles high, and it unites earth and heaven. Where's your residency? Be part of the great reversal. He is a God of mercy who invites you to be his. What, was your, what will your choice be? Sunday school lesson number one. Man struggles with obedience. Where are you in this struggle? 
Sunday school lesson number two. God deals with disobedience. He comes down to you personally. He sees you. Sunday school lesson number three. God's plan will prevail. Surrender to his mercy and allow his plan to be your plan. Sunday school lesson number four. There is a great redemption story. And no matter where you are in the story, know that he has a reversal for you. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great story. A story of our struggles. A story of your interaction with us. And a story of redemption. And God, we ask that you would help us unite with your plan. And allow redemption to be our story. To allow us to dwell with you. And we thank you that we don't have to reach up to heaven because heaven has come down to us. God, be with us and make us more and more like your son. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like more information on our church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com.